So it's in the name of Jesus that we come on behalf of George Wood this morning and Jewel, and let us just agree together for a very special touch upon this man. Father, we thank you that it's in the name of Jesus that we can come. Not only will every knee bow and every tongue confess, but we know that it's in the name of Jesus Christ that fevers can be broken. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that financial needs can be met. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that physical healing can be touched. And Lord, we pause for a moment to proclaim that you are the sovereign ruler of this universe, that you are the God of all, but yet you know what's going on in the heart and the lives of every individual. We know that you're aware of the needs this morning that George is facing, that you are the source of the blessings to this man and to each one of us. But God, we call upon you because we need your help. We call upon you because we can trust in you, that we can tap into the rewards that you have promised through your law of the harvest. You were wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and by your very stripes, we are healed. God, we ask that you would bless George. Even though he's miles away, we know that there is no distance factor in prayer, that you'll enter that ICU room in St. Louis. God, we come and we take you at your word today. We make a commitment to obey the scripture, and we call upon you. We wait with anticipation to see what you are going to do because of the name of Jesus Christ, that mighty name that we agree together and call out in prayer. God, I pray for Jewel that you would help her, that you would strengthen her fragile body. Lord, that you give her peace that's beyond imagination. Be with each family member. We know that they are taxed with this attack upon their dad and father we know that it affects him in great ways we thank you for george wood and god we just come to you now and ask your blessings and your touch upon him in christ's name amen amen church let's continue to pray for this man and his family and you may not know him but um, i ask that you would faithfully pray that god will continue to touch him and and uh, just write his name down, and this week as you remember him, please pray for him. Thank you. Thank you, choir, and once again, orchestra, for the wonderful contribution you make in our worship each Sunday, that we can come before the Lord and we can praise him, and you prepare our hearts for the word of the Lord. I want to welcome those of you that are here today, and especially those that may be viewing this morning, and whatever time you may watch this uh, we are happy that you are part of the Evangel Temple worship time. Here at Evangel Temple for the last few weeks, uh, we have been studying the parables of Jesus Christ. These parables, I take them in chronological order as they happen. There's no rhyme or reason. I just take them in the order that they were given or, and that Jesus shared with those that were around him. Parables were a unique way of one one way of Jesus' teaching, where he could use everyday events and illustrations to get a truth across to the individuals that listen. Oftentimes, the truth didn't settle in. It took time to think about it. It took time to 
digested. And then maybe hours later or minutes later, a person would catch on. The purpose of a parable was that questions would be created in the listener's heart and that something would be done about it. So today we continue with the parables of Jesus and the parable that we are looking at today is one concerning the wise and the foolish builders. These particular builders have a lot to say to not only the listeners of that day of Jesus, but also to each one of us this morning. I start by telling you a story that took place in 2014. It was a discovery that was made in a subdivision in Mesquite, Nevada. It was a beautiful building project. This particular subdivision was brand new, but there was a problem because several months after the individuals settled into their homes, some of them found some serious cracks in their foundation, cracks in their driveway. Cracks were showing up on the walls of their house. And on top of that, there was a constant disturbing odor that was in these homes, and it was a smell of, of um, a gas that was coming up from the ground. Not real pleasant. Well, what was wrong? Well, it seemed that the builders of this subdivision had built at least eight homes directly on top of a landfill. And the landfill was about 20 feet beneath the living rooms of these homes. Things got so bad that the floor shook. And as I said, the walls cracked and houses began to sink into the ground. It was quite a battle, and it was one that um, uh, faced the public and cursed the builders and all those that were involved. Obviously, someone had forgotten the importance of building on a good foundation. Now, in New England and elsewhere, where there are so many older homes, the home that I lived in when I graduated from high school was built in 1792 you find that there are at least two things that remodelers will look at when it comes to refurbishing or rebuilding a New England house, or as I said, anywhere. First of all, the foundation. They want to make sure that the foundation is buildable upon and that it can be repaired if there's any disturbance. Another big ticket item that they look at is the roof structure. Is it sound? Is it repairable? But if either the roof or the foundation is bad, they won't even look at that house. Or if they do, they calculate great cost of bringing it up to standards. Today, as I said in the chronological order that we are looking at the parables, we launch into the book of Luke once again. And Jesus tells us to pay close attention to our foundations in our Christian walk. Jesus tells us that the wise men, they dug down deep. And they dug down deep and they laid a foundation on the rocks. The scripture says, when the floods arose, the streams broke against the house and it could not shake it because the home was well built. But the fool builds a house on the ground without a foundation and when the storms break out against it, immediately that house or that dwelling 
falls because it is built on a very loose soil. In the days of Jesus, as we launch into our text, what he is about to say and what we're about to read is something that strikes a note with the people, something that they can identify. It's a powerful piece of imagery, as all parables are. His audience could picture a man building his house on the sand where it would be lost in a massive flood. They could also picture him because back in those days, much of the water from Israel came from the mountains. And when there was a heavy rain, like especially like we've had here in recent days, the water would be powerful as it came from the mountains and it would come down in a flood. And you could pretty well know where the water was going and where it was going to flow because of the dry riverbeds. When visiting the country of Jordan, my wife and I spent about 14 days there renting a car and driving around. We could see often these riverbeds that were dried in the desert land, and they were called wadis. And the wadis were actually uh, given names in some of the townships were built around certain wadis or riverbeds where the waters would thunder down towards the sea. And when there were no floods, the riverbed was flat. The riverbed is easy to build upon, but a wise man would never do that. And now why would anybody in their right mind build on a dry riverbed? They would know what was going to happen if they calculated the cost. But apparently there were those that would build on it and those that just weren't right in their minds. They're not very smart, as Jesus indicates. In fact, the only motivation for building a home on those riverbeds was that of laziness, that of not calculating the cost, that of making a decision where the cost is not calculated, but, you know, the land is flat, it's easy ground, and housing construction would not take much effort. There is no big picture mentality in this person or these individuals, especially when it comes to their spiritual life. They don't calculate the cost of their actions or the decisions that they make. But notice, as we look at this scripture, Jesus says, the wise man. The wise man is a person who digs down and laid the foundation on the rock. The wise builder had to work hard to make sure the foundation was secure. So today, hopefully I've laid the scene here. I have you anxious and anticipating to look at the text. If you have your Bible, I'd like to ask you to follow along. And it's found in Luke, the sixth chapter. And we will look at verses 46 through 49 on this day. Those of you that are at home, please follow along with us as well. Where Jesus says to those that he is speaking to, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my word and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. So he says that the person who hears his voice and puts the word in the practice, this is what you're like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood came, 
The torrent struck that house, but could not shake it, because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. There's the text. I have already given you somewhat of a synopsis of the text. So we could all go home and say, wow, that's quite a story Jesus told. That's really interesting, especially for the builders that are around. But we must take time and let it sink in and and apply this parable. In this parable, Jesus describes one who hears his word and does what the word says. And that person is like the person who digs down deep on a foundation upon the rocks. And when the floods come and threaten that individual, the house remains intact and it is secured. And Jesus' metaphor in this particular parable, as I see it, a man's character is like a house. Your character and my character is like a house. Every thought is like a piece of timber that's in that house. Every habit is like a beam that's in the house. Every imagination, every window, well or badly placed, they all gather into a unity. The house can be beautiful or it can be grotesque. And it describes here the house that is being constructed. What is your house like? Unless one builds his character on the rock-solid foundation of God's word, he will surely be swept away by the floods of this world, by the forces that come against you. It says in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, verse number 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's our foundation, our rock. No other name but the name of Jesus Christ, a name that every knee shall bow, one of the two builders in this particular parable, one's a thoughtful individual who deliberately plans his house with an eye for the future, an eye for what may be coming up. The other is not particularly a bad person, but thoughtless person. The other is a careless individual that doesn't think beyond the day. What is the repercussions of the house that I'm building? The decisions that I am making? It's the man who is thoughtless, casually building the easiest way out. Setting the stage for the future the easiest way. You see, the other one is content with carelessness and an unexamined life. But the smart builder is one that calculates the cost of his or her actions. We seem that, it seems that, as Christ describes this, there are some that simply avoid the hard work of digging deep down in to ensure a strong foundation and takes the short view of life. 
Never thinking what life will be like in six days or what life may be like in six weeks or six months because of the carelessness of building. This person will trade away a good future for the present pleasures and easiness of the day. The flood, obviously, in this story represents the trials of life. We all know what trials in life are. We all know what the resistance and the disturbances of life are. And frequently, the trials of life descend upon us, sometimes because of a lack of character in our decision-making or because of events in the world that surround us. Sometimes the trials and the storms in life come from medical issues, financial issues. We prayed for our brother today, George Wood. But the question is, is our house strong enough to withstand the onslaught of the events that take place around us and especially during these end times? Can our house even withstand our own weaknesses? in the mistakes, in the issues that we may manufacture in our own life. I think back to a few years ago, and it seems like hurricanes are a popular subject in our news. Now, where I'm from, we have hurricanes. Those of you that have been raised in the Midwest, you don't know a whole lot about hurricanes, but you are experts in tornadoes. But if you live on the coast, you know about hurricanes, and it seems like every other hurricane has a man's name, and every other hurricane, of course, has a woman's name. Well, it was a few years ago that Hurricane Ike roared through Galveston, Texas. It was in September of 2008. It was the third costless or a costly hurricane in history at that time. And as the hurricane rushed through Texas, it destroyed what was built there in Texas, at least in the Galveston area. And in the days following Hurricane Ike, aerial photos were taken of devastated areas. One astonishing photo that you look at right now showed a single house that was standing in an area where previously there had been around 200 homes. Mass destruction. Everything in the area was completely flattened except for one single lone house that belonged to Warren and Pam Adams. It was still standing. In fact, that lone house that was still standing was so unusual that many people questioned this particular photo. They thought that it had been photoshopped. Aaron Reed, who was a spokesman for the Texas Park and Wildlife Department, confirmed that only the Adams home survived the Gulfside Beach. Reed also said, as I looked at this house, I thought if I was ever going to build a house on the coast, I would go to the builder of this home and ask him to build my house. Hang on to that thought. Jesus asked a question in verse number 46 of our text today. 
He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I tell you to do? He says that to the disciples. Even though Jesus could have been, might have been in his first year of his public ministry, he's already attracted large numbers of people that are following him. Luke said that Jesus preached the sermon to at least the disciples, a great crowd of disciples and a great multitude of people it's described from all of Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. You can read about that in the sixth chapter of Luke, the 17th verse. But although Luke does not give us a number, I think that we can safely estimate that the crowd that Jesus speaks to is probably in the hundreds, could very easily be in the thousands of people that are following Jesus. They're listening to him. And these people are even calling Jesus Lord. You're the Lord. The Greek word for Lord is that of Kyrios. And sometimes it's used as a title of respect, a title in addressing or speaking to a man. And you may say, sir, you may say, mister. We use the term when we address someone that we don't know, but who may be serving us. Like you may say to a waiter, sir, excuse me, sir, could you please give me a menu? Or excuse me, sir, could you please top off my water? Thank you, sir. However, Lord, also sometimes used for one who is in supreme authority. God, Lord. And clearly the, the people following Jesus are using the word in this sense. Lord. And they are affirming the authority of Jesus Christ and even his deity. But equally, clearly, even though they are affirming his authority, they are not submitting to his lordship, evidently, because Jesus addresses that head on. These people want Jesus as their savior, but they, they don't want Jesus as their Lord. And that's why Jesus asked so pointedly, why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do what I tell you to do. And then he goes into this parable. A true disciple stands when the storms come. He stands or she stands when sickness and sin and, and betrayal, suffering and disappointment and accidents and mistreatment and illness and so on comes his or her way. They stand firm in the name of the Lord. He or she stands because they are grounded in Jesus Christ. And he or she truly is trusting that Christ alone is going to see them through. Christ alone can provide justification and can provide sanctification in his or her life. I think of Job this morning. Interestingly, as I went back in the text uh, this week, the Old Testament, and I look at the, the, the fortune that this man lost. I'm reminded that he lost 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. And he lost many servants due to the attack upon his life. He even lost all seven of his sons. Scripture tells us he lost three daughters. He basically lost everything. And how does he respond 
to this horrific news? How does Job respond to the attack upon his life and the misfortunes and, and the mistreatment? How does he respond in the midst of a storm? The scripture tells us in Job, the first chapter, verses 20 through 21, it says of Job, then Job arose and tore his robe and he shaved his head. He fell on the ground and he worshiped and he said, naked, I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away and blessed be the name of the Lord. Astonishing that Job did not turn from the Lord, but instead he worshiped the Lord. He trusts God even in the midst of his pain. You may be in pain today, but what is your character? What are the beams that make the house that you live in? What are they made out of? How deep is the foundation that you have built your life upon? A true disciple, Jesus says, obeys my words once they are heard, even in the storms of life. And then we find that a false disciple does not obey Jesus. Jesus said in verse number 49, once again, as we look at it, but the one who hears and does not do them is like the bad builder. And notice that the false disciples hear Jesus' word, but does not do them. And the false disciples make a profession of faith and they say, hey, I belong to Jesus, and they claim to be a Christian, but the false disciple does not obey Jesus and do the things that Jesus would have them to do out of love and out of compassion, out of calculating the cost of such decisions and actions, making the decision on the moment. The false disciple can look like a true disciple, However, his or her life is not grounded in Christ, and so when trials and difficulties may come along, they fail and they fall away. And worst of all, when he stands before God or when she stands before God, Jesus will say to him or her, sorry, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of the lawlessness. May we not be ever caught in that time. Those of you that are viewing from home, may Jesus Christ be the Lord of your life. So in conclusion today, if we profess faith in Jesus, we must ask ourselves, are we obeying Christ? Are we following his example? Are we doing as he would want us to do? Are we calculating the cost? Are we looking at the ripple effect when we build our home and the decisions that we make? Are we living just for the moment because it's easy? Or are we looking when the storms come, what's going to happen? In Jesus' own words in verse number 46, why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you to do? I ask you to hold a thought for a moment. I want to take you back to Galveston, Texas. I want to take you back to the home of Warren and Pan Adams that stood alone in Hurricane Ike. This house was actually a rebuilt house. You see, Warren and Pan Adams lost their house three years earlier to Hurricane Reader. It was destroyed three years earlier in 2005. 
And they realized that as a family and as a couple after Hurricane Rita, that they still wanted to live on this beach. They still wanted to have their home, but in order to do so, they needed to lay a foundation of their home on the rock. And they did so in their new home, Woodstood, Hurricane Ike in 2008. Quite a story, 200 homes blown away. You and I have time today to rip out of our lives a mere profession of faith and turn it into an obedience of Jesus Christ. You and I have time today to admit to Jesus that we have a shallow, disobedient profession. We merely wanted to look like other Christians around us, but now we realize that when the storm of life comes, and specifically when the day of judgment comes, that we possibly take that position that we will not stand. Will we hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant? So the message that I see in this text and the application of the text that we look at today is to repent, to turn from disobedience, turn from shallow, mere profession of faith, put your trust fully and wholeheartedly in Jesus Christ. And today we have that opportunity to ask Jesus to enable us in our life to live a life that's wholeheartedly dedicated to him with day-by-day obedience to the Lord, to every word that proceeds from the scripture. And our character would be that of Christ-likeness in the decisions that we make. And when we do so, we're going to discover that our lives will stand when the storms come along. Thank God for that. You see, the rivers of life can smash us. The rivers of life can tear us apart. The storms of life can destroy us. But there's a river in life that we can draw from, that the waters never go dry, and that's the river of Jesus Christ. Following the example in the way of our Lord, that we can draw from that river, the river that never runs dry. I'm going to ask you today, if you would bow your heads and you would pray with me. Those of you that are at home or wherever you may be listening to my voice, the ones that are here in this room, myself, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you because you're always ready to come into the boat of our lives to calm every storm that may blow. We want to thank you today for your power. We want to put our trust in you You've never failed us, Lord. You are always there. We want to build a stronger foundation in our hearts. Lord, the only thing that we can do when the storms blow in life is to call on you for your help. Therefore, today, we call on you today to help us calm the storm that is blowing Perhaps in, in a family, perhaps in a, in, a, in a job, in a person's career, in their ministry, in their education, in their finance, in their leadership, in their health. We thank you for the power of your word today. We thank you for your presence over our life. We thank you that there is a river that's not of destruction, 
but of building a firm foundation. We thank you that no weapon formed against us will prosper. God, I, 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 we claim together, for greater are you that's in us than he that's in this world. And we pray that you'll cast down every threat, every accusation, every abusive word, every cruel attack hurled our way. We praise you that nothing, nothing is impossible with you, that you are loving, that you are gracious, that you are full of mercy and might. We trust in you alone to rise up strong on our behalf today. Thank you that you are our defender. You're our strong tower. You're our refuge. You're our strength. Thank you that, that you fight for us today in our weakness, that you make us strong. And when we call upon you, Lord, that you demonstrate the actions of love and compassion and that you show us these actions. And Lord, may we be willing to obey you. Thank you for the river that you provide for us, a river that is not of destruction, but it is of godly nourishment. Thank you, Father, for your love and your care. Hallelujah.